Let's start our sermon in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of 1 Peter and the main idea that we have going through each of the passages we're preaching on and the idea of resilience. And God, today as we talk about resilient marriage, may your will be done. May it strengthen our marriages. May it prepare our singles. And may it give us hope to all who are listening. God, by the power of your spirit with words that are going to be difficult to hear at times, may you speak to every single person listening and give them encouragement for what they need this day. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Marriage is something that we celebrate. During the month of May, we have at least three couples in our church getting married, and those are just the ones I know about. Three couples who are standing before family, with many more watching online and expressing their deepest love for one another. Three couples who have opened up their lives, who have bared their souls, and have found a partner to embrace them. Three couples who are saying, I love you so much, I'm willing to put your needs before my own. A seminary professor and his wife were taking a tour through Israel and they ended up at the wedding church in Cana of Galilee. Meeting the priest there, they shared with him, this is our 25th anniversary. And the priest looked at them and said, Mamma Mia, 25 years of martyrdom. Their professor's parents were also with them and they said, we're celebrating our 50th anniversary. And again, he said, Mamma Mia, 50 years of martyrdom. Well, certainly meant as a joke, the priest made his point clear. Our call to sacrifice for one another should not be discounted. Consistently putting the needs of our spouse before our own is what grows a healthy and a resilient marriage. But some of you might already be on the verge of tuning out. Dave, I'm not married yet. This doesn't pertain to me. I'm divorced. I don't want to hear this. I've been widowed for 17 years. This is just too hard. I recognize today's teaching might be a little bit difficult, but I encourage you to give it your full intention. For those of you who are in that pre-marriage stage of life, messages on marriage are incredibly important. It reminds us who we need to be as followers of Jesus and what type of spouse we need to be looking for. For others of us, we're coming out of a difficult relationship. It may have started really strong and seemed like it was going to last forever, but something happened. Something took place and we're hurt and we're broken and we're coming to Jesus looking for healing. Marriage and relationships are a big part of being human and the scriptures want to help us incredibly well. Today's passage of scripture is in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles with you, you can certainly open them. The big numbers are the chapter numbers, small numbers are the verse numbers, and certainly you're welcome to download the Bible on the app as well. But one more thing, it's not just the singles I invite to not tune out, it's the married couples as well. Because today's passage would not be deemed culturally appropriate. And some of you might find it downright offensive. Last week, Sid was talking about submitting to the ruling authorities. And this week, I have that triggering comment, wives, submit to your husbands. And all week long, I thought to myself, why don't we do more topical series? In one of my previous environments, I was preaching on a rather tense topic. And afterwards, someone came up to me and said, you know, if the writer was writing today and not 2,000 years ago, they would never say that. But here's the thing. If Peter was writing to a group of people in 2021, he would say the exact same thing. 
How do we know this? As followers of Jesus, our citizenship isn't about being Canadian or American or African or Chinese or Filipino or French or Spanish. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking regularly about this idea that we're a new citizen. We have a new identity. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we read, you're a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. At some point, the scriptures are going to clash with our culture because we are strangers and aliens in this place. Am I trying to be offensive today? Not at all. Will I be offensive today? There's a good chance. So I hope that you can be gracious with me. I've had so many people praying for a subject that they knew could be a little tense at times. All this being said, let's dive in. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 to 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is God's sight, is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So let's start with that elephant in the room and talk about what it means to be subject or to submit to somebody else. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and this word for subject or submit is the Greek word hupotasso. You might want to say that with me at home. It's kind of a fun word to say, hupotasso. This word is actually a military uh, term, meaning to arrange in military fashion under the command of a leader. But when used in non-military vernacular, it means a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. That definition makes it a lot more palatable, doesn't it? Think about the message from last week for just a moment. How do we submit to the government? It's a voluntary attitude. It's cooperating. It's assuming our responsibilities as faithful citizens. How do we submit to our boss at work? A voluntary attitude to serve. Cooperation with our coworkers. Being faithful to our responsibilities so that we might see our organization flourish. We submit to the government for the good of our country. We submit at work for the good of our organization. And wives, submit to your husbands for the good of the marriage. Is this teaching hard to swallow? I'm sure for many of you it absolutely is. But is this teaching better for our marriage? 100%. Last week, someone pointed out to me, well, doesn't the Bible also say submit to one another? And since it says that, don't husbands also submit to their wives? It's an excellent question. And the Bible absolutely says that as well. In uh, Ephesians 5 verse 21, it says this, but it's in context of the whole church, not the marriage relationship. 
This word hupotasso is used over and over again in scripture. Citizens to government, demons to disciples, church to Christ, Jesus to his parents, spiritual powers to Jesus, workers to employers, Christians to God. Over and over again, you get the point. But never in any of these situations is the role reversed. Never do we see employers submit to their workers. Never do we see the disciples in subject to demons. Never do we see God subject to Jesus, and never do we see wives, pardon me, husbands subject to their wives. But don't worry. The husbands aren't going to be let off the hook, not by a long shot. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to start with a charge to wives, and then we're going to start and end with a, a charge to husbands. And if that word charge is a little bit new to you, think of what happens regularly within the main auditorium. When we see a child dedication, we charge the parents to live and to act in such a way. When a new pastor is installed, we say that that pastor is being charged to live out the mission of the of gospel and of the church. And when we see a husband and a wife come together, they are given a charge. Wives, submit to your husbands. Here's verses one and two again. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Ladies, what does your husband find most meaningful? Does he like when the two of you dress up and go out on a date? Does he like it when you say, hey, family, let's get together and go on a family bike ride somewhere? Is there a special meal that you cook that he's absolutely grateful for? Between streaming services and PVRs, I know most of you probably don't see commercials anymore, but there was a commercial that was on just recently, it might still be on, that I got such a kick out of. It was a commercial about bacon. And as soon as this wife started cooking with bacon, her husband started doing everything around the house. She sprinkled some bacon on a Caesar salad and he was immediately fixing a light bulb. She had bacon for brunch on Sunday and he was out there mowing the lawn, waving to her through the window. Bacon-wrapped steak and he was vacuuming with a smile on his face. Ask your husband what fills his soul and do your best to make space for that. When we think of this definition of submit, we read cooperating, assuming responsibility, carrying a burden. When your husband succeeds, you and your family succeed. How can you speak life into your husband to see him grow in confidence? Are you aware of a big presentation that he needs to make at work or he's writing up a contract for the trade that he's in? How can you encourage him through that? Does he just need to talk and get something off of his chest that's been frustrating and bothering him? Can you be that listening ear? Perhaps your husband is unemployed. How can you best support and encourage him during this time? A friend of mine once told me that uh, he wasn't being a good spiritual leader in the home and his wife was trying to serve him and help him get better at that. And he tells this humorous story of how he's in the living room watching TV and his wife, who's deeply involved in one of the ministries at the church, said, hey, um, I'm going to the church to do this thing. Can you please pray for me? And he's watching the hockey game or whatever's going on. He goes, yep. And then she stands right in front of him, bows her head and holds her hands together. And he realized, oh, she means doing that right now. 
Some of you are listening to this and thinking, wow, that sounds good to me. You're already living in this way and you see the benefits of doing so. Others of you are listening going, does Dave realize it's 2021? Is he expecting us to walk around the kitchen barefoot and pregnant and doing whatever the husband tells us to do? My feet are firmly placed in reality. Some of you are hearing this message and you don't blink an eye. It comes easily to you. Others of you are hearing this maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, and you're thinking, well, what does that look like? How am I as a strong woman supposed to submit to my husband in a way that honors God and I don't feel like I'm walking in a glass ceiling? We cannot let our culture dictate how we're supposed to live, but rather seek out the kingdom of God and that there's a better way to life. This is what it means to be resilient. If you're a strong woman, what does submission look like in your marriage? Do you and your husband maybe own a business together? And maybe it's your job to be at that front counter, working the room, serving those who you serve, where he's in the back, working with the other employees, the paperwork, and seeing things through. Or maybe those roles are completely reversed. Does it mean that you're the primary wage earner and he's at home looking after the kids? Does it mean that maybe you love being a homemaker, but you want to do other things besides? Work with your husband. Share your dreams with him. He knows what type of woman he married. This isn't going to surprise him. Back in February, we were looking at this biblical story of Abigail, and she's introduced to us in the scriptures, 1 Samuel 25, I believe, if you want to look it up, as intelligent and beautiful. The order in which that's named is important. Intelligent and beautiful. Her husband, Nabal, made a pretty bad business decision, and when she heard about what happened, she quickly worked to make things right. There was a threat that was looming, and there was no time for discussing, so she quickly sprung into action and ended up saving the family business. The scriptures praise Abigail for her decisions. She didn't submit to her husband's stupidity, but rather protected her husband and ultimately her family's interests. She took the initiative when it was unable when he was unable or even unwilling to act and even apologize for her behavior afterwards. It's an amazing story. And for some of you in this room, it leaves you with a question. What if my husband isn't worthy of my respect? What if he's abusive? What if he's a jerk? What if he's lazy? What if he's just distant from me? First things first, if your husband is abusive, get out of the house. Go stay with friends, go stay with family, rent a hotel room, and if you know where to get help, get it. If you don't know where to get help, call us and we would love to serve you. You should not be in that relationship and in that house right now. For most women, though, the question's probably more about rudeness, it's disrespect, my husband's a little bit lazy, He doesn't listen to who I am and what my heart is all about. The words of the passage don't change. Wives, submit to your husband. Theologian and philosopher Augustine wrote about how his Christian mom treated his pagan father, and this is what he wrote. She served her husband as her master and did all she could to win him for you. 
speaking to him of you by her conduct, by which you made her beautiful. Finally, when her husband was at the end of his early span, she gained him for you. Wives, I know it's hard to hear, but even if you don't feel like your husband is worthy of your respect, being someone who is nagging him or calling him things that aren't appropriate isn't going to win him over to you. The scriptures speak loudly about this in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 24. We, we read, it's better to live on the corner of your housetop than in a house with a quarrelsome wife. Again, in 27, 15, living with a contentious wife is like the constant dripping on a rainy day. <laughs> Do you see what the author did there? He goes, in living with a nagging wife, it's like you're being waterboarded. Not good. When I talk to my friends, those both uh, who have a faith background and those who are still discovering where they belong, what's the number one complaint they have? My wife is nagging me. Friends, wives, submit to your husbands. Love him well. And when necessary, talk to your girlfriends and get that encouragement and support you so deeply need. The second thing is this, strengthen your inward beauty. This is verses three and four. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So we're all watching this online and sometimes it's fun to have a little bit of a chat. How much do you think Canadians spent on beauty products last year? I'll give you a second to open the church online platform or hop onto YouTube and write it down, but here's something to think about while you're putting your number or your guests together. We've got about 38 million people in Canada, so cut that in half. We've got about 19 million women. Say 4 million of those are too young to wear makeup. What did 15 million women spend on beauty products in Canada last year? The answer, $1.4 billion. Where do you think that ranks us in the world? Where do you think that ranks us against the United States, against the developed world, against other places in Europe at $1.4 billion? Number one, per capita, nobody spends more on beauty products than Canadians do. Peter's response here is simple. Ladies, do not focus merely on your external beauty, but place more of your attention on your inward beauty. Your external beauty will eventually fade no matter how much work you put into it, but your internal beauty will last forever. The book of Proverbs closes with a description of a godly woman, and we read about it in chapter 31, verse 10. It says this, an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. The author then talks about how wonderful of a woman she is, how her husband loves her and adorns her with love and respect, how she provides for her household and everything runs smoothly, how the women and the men in her community support her and call her blessed. And these attributes and many more, do you know what is never mentioned? What she looks like. A few weeks ago, our church hosted an introductory night on triads. Triads are three to five people of the same gender uh, meeting on a regular basis to talk about uh, God, to talk about what's happening in one another's lives, and to be an encouragement to one another. 
I was absolutely thrilled at that night to have almost 50 people come and be a part of our Zoom meeting, bursting out that idea that Zoom fatigue has really hit. But what thrills me even more than how many people showed up is what happened the next couple of days. Ladies, we have no less than four women in our church who are saying, Dave, send me a couple women. I would love to meet with people, to talk to them about God, to share with them what's going on in one another's lives, and to pray together. At the end of our time, or pardon me, in the middle of our time together, we had a couple people share about um, triads and the impact it's had in their own lives. And one of the people who shared was one of our young adults, actually just got married a couple weeks ago. And I don't remember exactly what she said, but it went something like this. You know, as a youth leader, we were asked to join a triad. And I didn't really want to, it was just one more thing on my schedule. And then I got together with these couple of girls, and the first couple of weeks it was a little tough, kind of awkward, but then I found myself looking forward to it. I was looking forward to connecting every week. I was looking forward to hearing what happened in their lives and to share what was happening in my life. I found myself looking forward to it, and it was life-giving. This young woman's inward beauty is absolutely stunning. Wives, submit to your husbands, strengthen your inward beauty. And third, fear the Lord. This is five and six. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. In his book on marriage, Christopher West shares a story that happened long before writing the book. He and his wife were out for dinner when she said to him, there was something different about their marriage, something good, but she couldn't quite put her finger on it. After reflecting for a bit, he looked at her and he said, yeah, I think I know what it is. I think deep down in my heart, I've realized you can't complete me. His wife responded with a big smile of her own and said, that's it, I've been realizing the same thing too. You can't complete me. And he shares in his book, if anybody had overheard us at the restaurant, they probably would have thought, well, that couple's getting a divorce. But he said, as followers of Jesus, nothing could be further from the truth. We aren't finding our fulfillment. We aren't finding our identity in our spouse. We're finding our fulfillment. We're finding our identity in Jesus Christ himself. Your marital status does not define you. Your children don't define you. What you do for work doesn't define you. But the fact that you are part of a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a daughter of the most high king, you have a new identity. Wives, fear the Lord. With such a high appointment, you carry a holy fear of not wanting to disappoint God, but to love him and to enjoy him forever. It's because of this appointment that you can cheerfully submit to your husband, knowing that ultimately you're submitting to God. You can cheerfully strengthen your inward beauty because you know ultimately you're becoming more like God. And I'll say the same thing to you wives that I'll say to the husbands in a few minutes. I believe deeply that our marriages are an incredible picture of the gospel. In the same way that the church responds to Jesus and submits to his authority, so wives, submit to your husbands. 
and show the world around you what an amazing marriage looks like and ultimately what an amazing God looks like. Your resilience is changing your husband, your family, and the whole world is watching. Wives, remember to fear the Lord. Reading this passage, I like to think that Peter is a really good husband. This passage is seven verses long. The first six verses are delicately written. They're expanded on well. The point gets across and he does so in a beautiful way. And then he writes to the husbands in verse seven. One verse, really direct, three points, let's go. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. We'll start in the middle part of that verse as a charge to the husbands. Husbands, show her honor. In the book of Acts, which happens in the first century, the Christians are turning the world upside down by how they treat people. One of the reasons we see this radical church growth at the beginning of Acts is because um, the, the people that society shunned, Christians are warmly embracing. Are you hungry? We'll feed you. Are you sick? We will heal you and help you get well. Are you an outcast? We'll accept you. People were actually abandoning babies, leaving them in the wild, Maybe they had a birth defect, maybe they were unwanted, or because they just weren't the right gender. Wild animals would attack these babies. Horrible people would do terrible things to these children. And the Christians heard about this. And they would go and rescue the babies and bring them into their own homes. In fact, that's how orphanages started, by Christians accepting and taking unwanted babies. Followers of Jesus were completely turning society onto its head, including how they treated women. Peter is asking husbands to treat their wives as equal partners, and this idea is completely countercultural. Women were seen as property, they were seen as weaker vessels, as people who simply made life easier at home. Some of your translations might say, treat them with respect, but it misses the point. Like Sid talked about last week, we can respect the government and not agree with what they're doing. We can respect our boss and be like, ah, I'm not sure about that decision. But this is different. Show her honor. Plutarch is a first century Greek philosopher and moralist, and he finds himself agreeing with the Christian ethic. Listen to these words. Control ought to be exercised by the men over the women. Not as the owner has control over a piece of property, but as the soul controls the body by entering into her feelings and being knit to her through goodwill. It would be easy to skip over this and say, yeah, but we're nothing like the first century. Really? We might be a lot more similar than you think. I've been playing soccer since I could walk. I absolutely love the sport. And now that I'm over 35, they, uh, the league that I'm a part of sets their 35-year-olds onto a special night of the week. 35-year-olds get Friday nights. But there's a problem with that. The only morning I get to sleep in is Saturdays. And so I find myself with this tension. Do I go and play soccer? Or I spend time with my wife because it's the only night that I stay up late. 
I was sharing this tension with my teammates and they just started laughing at me and they said, Dave, that's the best part of playing on Friday nights. We can get away from our family. We can get away from our kids. And I'm saying, yeah, but that's the night I want to be with my family and my friends. Does that sound honoring to you? Men, I hope you work hard and I hope you provide for your family. That is awesome. But if you come home after a long day of work and you plant your butt cheeks on that couch and you don't get up, you are not serving and you are not honoring your wife. Do you know what our wives are doing? Do you realize that our wives are doing online school, that they're picking up the groceries, that they're making the meal, that they're cleaning the dishes, that they're putting the kids um, through the bath or the shower, that they're laying their kids to bed, throwing a load of laundry into the uh, laundry machine, and then at 10.15, maybe they get to put their feet down. Are we actually showing them honor or are we just treating them like slaves? I realize we work hard. And I realize that there might be 12-hour days, and I realize that there might be times, Dave, I just want to sit down and watch some playoffs. I get it. But so does your wife. Talk to her. Show her honor. And yeah, maybe you have to work a really long day. Tell her that. Because when you're working hard to put that proposal together for your board, when you're working hard at home because you have to make a drawing for your architectural firm, when you're working hard because you have to plan class for the next day at school, your wife is working hard. She's doing extra work around the house because you're doing extra work for your job. Let's make this really practical there was one piece of application for this part of the message. This is what I would encourage you to do. But only say it if you really mean it. Look your spouse in the eye and ask, what is one thing I could do to improve our relationship? <laughs> for the wives who are hearing this, I'm not saying two or three or five things. One thing. This isn't that time to go, I've been waiting for this. This is a time to think. If my husband offers me that, what would I say? That he spend a little bit less time playing video games? That he helps out around the house a little bit more? That I would love to hear about his day, but also share about my own day? That we'd actually spend time praying together? Husbands, show her honor. Second, seek to understand. Do you see how the verse begins? Live with your wives in an understanding way. As far as Christian circles go, certainly around pastors, I was pretty late to the marriage game. One of my claims to fame in my previous denomination, over 400 churches across the country, I was the only lead pastor who was single. So here I am in my early 30s, still a single guy, and I thought, well, I may as well keep myself busy. And so I'm out of the house five to six nights every week. There was small groups, there was soccer, there was pastoral visits, there's committee meetings, there's more soccer. Life was pretty good. And when Jenna came into my life, uh, it didn't change things a whole lot. I was living just west of Edmonton. She was living in BC, so I could be out all night and call her in with the one-hour time difference. Everything was just fine. 
even when she eventually moved back to Edmonton, we still lived an hour apart from each other, so there wasn't this expectation that we would always be seeing each other. Everything changed when we got married. I continued this rapid pace of being out of the house four to five nights every week, and I would continue to bring Jenna with me. But I didn't take into consideration that she was also working a full-time job and that this might be burning her out. To Jenna's credit, after a couple months of marriage, uh, she wasn't bitter, she wasn't even rude to me, she was just exhausted, and she said something like this, Dave, this pace of life is killing me. I'm working a full-time job of my own, and I'm just starting to wear down. I heard every word she said. I even know what those words in that order actually mean. I just totally ignored her and kept on with my rapid pace of life. Two weeks later, she came to me crying, saying the exact same thing. And I didn't know how to respond. A couple weeks after that, the biggest fight of our marriage, and we were four or five months in. I ended up going to see a counselor. And you know what that counselor said to me? I'll boil it down to five words. Dave, seek to understand your wife. I heard everything Jenna told me in those first couple months. It's not like I was totally ignoring her. It was more of a, Jenna, I don't know what to do with this information. I'm in my 30s. I've been a bachelor for the last decade of my life. I've been living on my own for the last six or seven years with no roommates. This whole idea is different to me. I don't know what to do. And so we started going out on weekly dates. And we started having great conversations. And I would ask her, what pace is sustainable for you? She told me, two nights a week. Okay, if you can do two nights a week, are you okay with me being out another two nights a week and then you still get me at home three days a week? If I recall right, she said she was okay with that. What do you need from me so that you can refill and recharge your tank? Dave, I need a night out with my girlfriends. I need a couple nights a week with you. I need a night to go to the gym and just be completely by myself. Jenna, what is life giving so that you can grow and flourish into the woman God has called you to be? Friends, this crazy thing started to happen. The more I talked to her, the more I genuinely sought to understand her, the stronger our relationship became. We could certainly have some fun with that first part of the message though, couldn't we? Live with your wives in an understanding way. Thanks for that, Peter. Pretty sure men have been trying for thousands of years. I ended the first part by being really practical. Let's do the same thing here. I typically arrive home from the office shortly after five o'clock. And almost every day, I look at my wife and I say this one thing. What do you need from me right now? The answer is different every day. Dave, I just need a hug. I need you to listen to my day. I need you to take the children far, far, far away right now. I need you to buy pizza. I need, to I need you to go and play with the kids. I just need to go out and spend some time with my sister and be alone. This practice has begun and continued what I hope will be a resilient marriage. 
Husbands, show her honor, seek to understand, and finally, fear the Lord. For the men in the room, I want you to imagine having a 16-year-old daughter at home. For some of you, that's not much of an it doesn't take much to imagine. You either look back to when your daughter was 16 or you have a daughter at home, you can kind of extrapolate what my life might be like. For others of you, it might not be quite as easy, but I know you can do it. Think about your niece, think about your granddaughter, think about a good friend's daughter. Being a teenager, the 16-year-old girl who's in your house has her first crush. The problem is, the boy she has a crush on is a real piece of work. He makes fun of her on social media, he embarrasses her in front of her friends, he pretends to be interested just to watch her swoon, only to yank the carpet out. How do you feel about this young guy? I've just got a question. Is he faster than a speeding bullet? Now imagine he comes and he asks you for a job. How are you going to respond? Every woman is made in the image of God. If we treat our wives poorly, how do you think God the Father is going to view our prayers? Husbands, fear the Lord. As I mentioned earlier, I firmly believe that a Christian marriage profoundly reveals the gospel to our world. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Protect her. Provide for her. Show her honor. Seek to understand and lay down your life for your wife as Christ laid down his life for the church. When we love our wives, when we show the world around us what a real God-centered marriage looks like, how Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We show the world a beautiful picture of the gospel and we do it because she's worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us who are married whether we have the best marriage in the world or whether it did not work out the way we hoped, have made mistakes and have fallen short. God, forgive us. Help our spouses to forgive us as well. For those of us who find ourselves single, may we strive to become the men and women who will be great when it comes to marriage. And God, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would live that we would live as God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, bringing you glory and seeing our marriages thrive. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.